Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a programme about good mental health in sport. I'm Gary Bloom, a psychotherapist and counsellor, and that means I work one-to-one with all sorts of people who are having or have had some emotional problems. It doesn't mean that they're ill, it's sometimes called a talking therapy. Meet Ian Holloway, one of the most charismatic football managers of the last 20 years. He's managed seven football clubs after a 19-year career as a professional player where his most successful spells were at QPR and Bristol Rovers. Yet his family life has been challenging, to say the least. His three daughters are all profoundly deaf and his wife, Kim, has fought bravely with cancer and depression. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch with me, Gary Bloom, and Ollie, Ian Holloway, of whom one psychologist said, your anger is a problem. Well, Ian, it's a delight to meet you. I've, if I'm honest, I've always been fascinated about you, I think because of the Ollieisms and where they come from. But I'm also struck about this description of you of anger being your problem. And I'm wondering, is that how you see yourself? It was for, for quite a while. Being little, being shorter than most footballers, I had to have something about me. And I felt anger was my friend and I could use that and get more determined so uh, did you, did I, I, got, want, I got confused between anger and determination, really. Did you want people to be frightened of you, Ian? No, no. It was just a, a inner drive. I, all my mates told me when I was growing up that I was horrible to be around if I if I was playing anything competitive. If I wasn't doing as well as I felt I should do, I would be angry and I was horrible to be about. So we're putting on a putting green and I, and I miss and then I'm smacking the thing into the ground and you know it want my putter to smack into the ground you know what I mean it's been mates so I was borrowing it so I had a had a lack of empathy for other people because I was too caught up in how good I thought I should be and so it, that that was something that I struggled with but if we look right to the present day it could be argued you should be a football manager of a football league club you haven't got what you want right now today does that make you angry? Not anymore. I realise what the life, life's about and I've learned how to not cause myself problems, not be a problem causer, be a problem solver, you know? So, um, but I, I think... You must be frustrated, come on, Ian, that you, you know, we, we talked off air a couple of minutes ago and I said, would you like to go back to a football club? And you said, undoubtedly, yes. Yeah, because I miss those side of things, but you need someone who owns a football club to actually see you as someone worthy of taking on the challenge and and helping other people um i'm not in control of that never have been and i never will be so you know hopefully there'll be a job that comes up that i might get an interview for and then i might be able to sell myself in the interview but you know there's lots of jobs that come up that are already taken because people have been doing things behind other people's backs which i will never ever in a million years do um but if you were an owner of a football club and you had the power to hire and fire is Ian Holloway the sort of manager you would hire you know it's, it's a difficult question I don't I, the worst sound in the world is anyone blowing their own trumpets Some, it hasn't always worked where I've been but financially it has for the club that I've done you know it, I was brought up to run a club not just be a, a coach I was at Bristol Rovers they talked about 
finances. I was in every single board meeting from the first minute to the last minute. They wanted me to understand about how a club is run and, and all the other problems other than just the football side. Um, so that's why when I got the Queen's Park Rangers job after I was moved on by Bristol Rovers, we went into administration. So that was perfect for me because I knew how how the model should work. So, you know, every one of the clubs I've worked for have ended up with a much better budget. Um, and wherever they were, they've been able to crawl themselves back up because of the structure that was put in by myself and whoever was helping me at that time. I'm wondering if you can give me a mark out of 10 for what sort of manager you have been up to this point. Because I'm like I'm interested in how mm. you self-reflect here, mm. and about how good you are. And there's a bit of me as a therapist who thinks mm. you undervalue yourself. Mm. I'd say eight out of ten. So, what are your strengths as a manager? What do you think you do really, really well? And what are the things that you think actually I could still do some work on um, this? I think getting the best out of people, making people believe that they can be better than they are at the moment, and maybe better than they even dream they could be, and helping them achieve that really by being there for them particularly when it goes wrong you see i would argue that is the role of a football coach to make improve players but you're mm. saying that being a football coach is only part of the the equation you see yourself as an administrator a manager people who can somebody who can look after finances and the running of a football club the two roles to me seem quite different well they are they're they're the complexity of it is changing the, the english game is changing you get chief executives now who run the financial side of things you get sometimes you have a director of football who's in charge of all the recruitment and really when I started 20 odd years ago we did all of it so know? what do you want to do now if you were to be allowed a blank piece of paper and said this is the role I want at this football club what would it look like um, yeah, I'd be interested in a project where it might it won't even have to be a, a big club but potentially it would have to you'd have a chance to grow it. But what um, role do you want to do in that club, Ollie? Do you want to be a coach? Do you want to be an administrator? Do you want to be a director of football? What is it you want? Um, that's a good question. Maybe that's where I lie with a problem. And I understand there's going to be a lot of players from the golden era, so-called, that should be managers now. You know, But if I could help one of them along the way some maybe a director of football possibly that possibly that way I, I want to try and get things right for the the young lads in that club and get them through it I, you know there's loads of things I would think about doing but you know I, I miss the Saturday and I miss the game I miss the mathematics about the game and where the game's going I think there's a lot of people who are who are changing it and I want to be part of that you know do you wish you were 20 years younger and just entering your, your no. time as a football manager? No, I, I'm very happy with the knowledge I have now. It's just, where am I going to be able to put that that will benefit myself, my mm. family, and and hopefully other people, you know, because I can't live through what I've lived through and then not use that. Let's, you take, your, let's take you right back to your very early days in South Gloucestershire, um, being brought up with mum and dad. What you describe is not a particularly um, well-to-do childhood, but a very happy mm. childhood. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think um, I think my brother-in-law Phil, Phil he said your dad died in, and he thought he was uh, he didn't feel he had a worth. He said he's the richest man I've ever met because of your family and how he was with you. And unfortunately, he thought it was about money because we were still in a council house, and he wasn't sure whether that was owned and and paid if he died that moment so but he made us most important thing in his in his world which was his family so and um, whatever he gave whatever he had he'd give you the last bit of it so you know it's a, but i'm just wondering if his background resulted in his determination to be the father that he didn't have possibly yeah that possibly. must have given you a very rich childhood yeah I, well i was this crafty one because my my brother who's I wouldn't want to be him because he, he, he was the oldest, so you should know better, no matter what happened. Whether my sister did something, Sue, or me, um, it was predominantly John's fault because he was the oldest. You should have overseen that. Do you know what I mean? That's the, the way Dad was then. But And I got away with murder. 
and this very strong relationship with Dad, who follows mm. your career with huge interest. He is there virtually every game you play growing up as, a, as a, yeah. an academy player. Every with. game, yeah. Every game. Was that important to you, knowing he was watching? Yeah, totally. I want to please him. I think most children do. Um, we all want to be wanted or liked. Um, so, but it was more than that. It was, I wanted, I wanted to do well. I wanted to be good. I wanted to be as good as I could possibly be, and and I was willing to put those hours in. You know. Um, did, did you ever feel you let him down, Ian? I wouldn't say let him down. I think there was a there was a period when I was at Brentford and it was going that wrong and he was sat in the back of my car and I'm driving home and he went I think you should come back home son I said you what he said I think you should pack in and even if you've got to play amateur just come back it's not going well is it he wanted to play for Bath City didn't he yeah yeah and for him to say that to me I'd almost failed then do you know what I mean how did that make you feel yeah not good you cross with him um no I was bitterly disappointed I wasn't angry with him I, I was bitterly disappointed because everything I'd ever wanted to do was make him proud you know and uh, but I knew I, I knew I couldn't do any more than I was doing at the time because of glandular fever had a had a, an effect on you physically one minute you you feel great you can run the next minute you go to push the pedal and there was nothing there you know but and I couldn't exactly control that This is On the Sporting Couch here on Talk Sport with Samaritans. In the studio today with me is former QPR player and manager Ian Holloway. When life is tough, Samaritans are there to listen. Call 24 7 on 116 123 or visit samaritans.org. embarrassed about your feelings about Kim which made you break up with her because she then goes on and gets engaged to somebody else and that mm. absolutely breaks your heart it destroys you I don't know what that was all about then you know I, I, I was too young I was pretty immature I think I think young lads are compared to young ladies at that age when you talk emotionally and when when I was so focused on football and all my life totally focused on football all my mates were talking about girls for for years before I was because all I wanted to do was be be a footballer, you know. So um, it's a very confusing time, isn't it? Living through puberty and becoming a man instead of a boy, understanding what you had when you've lost it and what you want back now can be very, very confusing. So you go on to marry Kim, but I'm just going to go back into that period of time when mm. you find out she's engaged to somebody else. What were your emotions then? I found it hard to forgive myself because all I had to say was the right thing at that time um, and none of that would have happened. But What stopped you saying the right thing? Because I couldn't. How can I say that I love you if I didn't? If I wasn't sure what love is? Are you sure now? Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, totally. What is love then to you, Ian? It's being able to put someone else ahead of yourself in your own... We've all got a red button. What about me? What about me? What about me? Well, Kim's is a lot louder than mine. So I will give her everything's about, is she okay, is she right, where am I, and that, that then makes me right, In in if that makes any sense. It does well, to me, but I don't know if you you get what I'm saying there. I, you know? I know exactly. I'm only right if she's right, and that's how it has to be. I hear that. But when you look back through your career, and this might be a tough question to ask mm. you, Ian, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you always put Kim and the family first? Probably not. Did they need to move clubs so many times? Did they need to change schools so many times? The the, the fact of the matter was I knew we had a, a difficult situation when I didn't know the language that I had to be able to master to educate my own daughters. Because all three of your daughters are profoundly born... Profoundly deaf. ...were born profoundly deaf. And, well, let's just hold it there. Yeah. To a lot of people listening to those words, Ian, there would be intense sadness intense emotions what were your emotions when you discovered your twins and then your youngest daughter have been born deaf it's difficult to find the words really because they were 16 months old 
that's 16 months of learning that they've lost because you know it wasn't our fault but we weren't given any stimuli that they needed you know um if you can't hear something and someone's chatting away like I am now you, you're not getting anything all, all they saw was our lips moving so the minute the second we started to use sign language we unlocked a door um and we could never repair that so you know we were constantly aware that we had to learn things to be able to to they were already on a conveyor belt 10 yards past us and we've got to grab it 15 yards away from them and put it in front of them if we can and it was it was just subtle things that the deafness brings a frustration unless there's understanding visual understanding you know and we had to learn a language that could break that down very very quickly to give to them, which is going to be their natural language. That, so That's a description of what what was going on for you, Ian. Yeah. I think I'm going to ask you the question again in a yeah. different way. Yeah. How were you emotionally about this devastating news? Well, it's terrifying because you... Fear. I, I, was ter- I was terrified because I don't know how I can educate these kids. And they need the best... You get one chance to educate your children... And really, the only way I can describe it is that most parents know that the kids are going to go to school, they're going to get some exams, they don't know what which ones, and then they might then get a job. Whereas our, we had no box that the jigsaw was going to be put together. We had no idea what they could understand, how they would use it. All three of them use, it, use what we gave them in a different way. But that doesn't make one of them right or one of them wrong, you know? And luckily, we managed to find a school that understood how we felt about it all. The worst thing was we had so-called experts telling us, you should do it this way. And then another expert would tell us, oh, no, 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 don't do it that way, you should do it this way. How are we supposed to know that? But we had to make a very, very quick decision. Is it the oral approach? Right? So simply to me and my lovely wife, well, do we know what they can hear? No. So surely we know they can see. So let's teach them a visual language. And the second we started doing that, it all made sense. I'm picking up one or two flashes of anger about that time, Ian. Were you, were you cross with, with the experts? Were you cross with your daughters? Were you cross with Kim? Were I was cross, cross with, with the experts because we you go to them when you know nothing. But maybe they don't have all the answers, Ian. They should have a lot more than me, shouldn't they? And they shouldn't be asking me my opinion on it, really. There was one lady who saved us because she's the lady who, who said, in my opinion, you should really seriously think about teaching them a, a, a visual language. And then from my experience with all these young young ladies and young men that I've worked with, they need a base language to add English to and then it gets better. So really that's fundamentally, if it was down to me, I would say that's what you need to do. Teach Every one of our children should be taught some sign language in school because what it does... Our baby at 10 months, the youngest, she could tell us she'd done a poo in her nappy. She could tell us she got a tummy ache. She could tell us she wants a drink because waiting to speak holds a child back. They know a lot more that if they had a, a language that they could show you and tell you, and our daughter could. It was unbelievable. The difference between her and her older sisters was frightening because she had that language right from the off, right from when she was a tiny baby. Well, her command of English is unbelievable. She's got nine GCSEs, and deaf kids aren't supposed to be able to do that. So, you know, we know that's what you should do. So do you feel... I feel angry about that. So do you feel somehow you let down the twins? No, we did what we could, but at the time I felt we did. You can't help it. I, I don't know. I don't know any parent in the world who would not feel like they've let their kids down when they didn't even know they were deaf. Do you know what I mean? And I know I didn't have a magic wand, but somebody should have been able to tell us, and somebody should have been able to say, "Look, just teach them sign language, and then they'll learn English from that." It should be easy. How did your son cope with this all? Because he's the only one in the family of your children who has normal hearing. Well, the funny thing is, we, the the witnessed all our children playing and he was the only one who had a problem because he was looking over his shoulder making sure they were all right 
And when you think about it, you know, Dad, they're in the kitchen. Dad, they broke a glass. Oh, Dad, they, they've opened the door. Dad, they, you know, because he was constantly watching out for them. It's, it's been tough. Even now, you know, he's 30 years old and everything we did as a family was about them, really, because we had to cart him off and get him with us and take him to the, the hospitals and the hours and hours of sat there waiting for ear moulds. And... You see, all that would have been enough, more than enough, for most families, Ian. That mm. would have been the family story, mm. looking after your two twins, twin girls who are profoundly deaf, then you mm. have another child who's who's deaf as well. That would be enough. But on top of that, you add the added, added strain of moving jobs as a football manager, mm. which add another level of strain to the family. And I'm just thinking, in retrospect, Ian, you say, I shouldn't have even made the move when you, when you leave Plymouth and go yeah. to, to Leicester City. They needed me to earn money, you know. Maybe they needed you just as a daddy. Yeah, they yeah they did, but I was there as that, and that's how they knew me anyway. I got to bear in mind that, yes, I get the whole summers off. You do. You get a, a huge break, and and being the manager, I could control what time I managed to get home. Sometimes, um, yes, I would be off scouting and doing all sorts of things, but normally that was. Once I got them and helped them and put put them to bed, if you know what I mean. But you know, the most important thing is, it was the relationship that my wife and I were building, and I think the Bristol Rovers job was probably the worst time for everybody because I was not not in the right place there, really, because I was still learning, I was still playing, I was was it the right thing to do, and the pressure of doing that, I had no idea straight straight in the deep end um, at a club that was always watching the pennies and I swear I only got it because I I did two jobs for the price of one if you know what I mean so but I wouldn't I wouldn't change that that was probably the hardest time for Kim and my family really going through that how did you concentrate on being the player manager and then the manager of Bristol Rovers you got to imagine I've always put Whatever I've had ever tried to do, I've had to be the fastest. I had to do that. I had, to, you know, I've had to try and make myself the best in my mind. Whether I am or not, it doesn't matter. That's what I'm doing, with a a determination that I think was inherent from my father, right? Because he was like that in whatever he did. He he wanted to do that, and what I vowed, I'd never end up feeling like he did on his deathbed. How did he feel on his deathbed? He felt he'd failed us all, and he said it two or three times over and uh, what, were you, what were your emotions around? yeah that, that that hurt because we all knew he'd given us a lot more than most people get and it wasn't about financial stuff we knew he was always there for us we knew we meant meant the absolute world to him and so did mum so you know it, it, it's a horrible situation when you you try and weigh up the whole of some of your life and the sum of your parts when you're on that last bit and you worry about money throughout every single thing Kim and I have ever dreamed of having or doing or talking about is this is the most satisfying time of our lives looking at it should be the grandchildren are you a better granddad than a dad yeah I'm in a better time of my life right now than I was back then I think a lot of the ego that I had and you you need as a as a a footballer and a football manager um a young one starting off that's gone and I, I can enjoy the time I spend with them a lot easier doing what I'm doing at the moment a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is On the Sporting Couch here on Talk Sport with Samaritans. In the studio today with me is former QPR player and manager Ian Holloway. When life is tough, Samaritans are there to listen. Call 24-7 on 116-123 or visit samaritans.org. Your mum and dad put people first. It's absolutely clear. It runs like lettering through a piece of Blackpool rock. But I wonder whether you've put your family first all the time, Ian. I know this is difficult. I know this is a tricky subject. But football managers are always on the horn of this dilemma. How do I look after my family? How do I look after a football club of about 30 professionals and the board and the money and, 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 and? Yeah, well, I had one season where I lived away from my family for one week at a time. What was that like? Horrendous. And the following season, I brought them all up again. And that was Blackpool. That was the season we went up. Mm. And I was determined to put right what had gone wrong in my career beforehand. As my agent said to me, you'll be washed up if you don't get this right up there. You'll be like a piece of driftwood. I would, don't go there, and I did. But, you know, I kept saying to people, I, I changed a little bit. I, I've come here to, to work, so we're going to work and we're going to do this, and that's what you're going to do. So How did you change well, I changed my approach to everybody, and I was that, like, I don't want any excuses, we're just going to get on with this. So I didn't really listen to anybody else, and I just didn't care what they were feeling. This is what I'm going to do, and if you can't do it, I'll get someone else who will. I'd have never been like that before. I'd have made that person do it. In a funny way, they followed me anyway, but I was so determined to do this plan that it took a year to write out, and I'm, and I'm going to make it work. So I, I didn't give them any time whatsoever I think the best thing I said was that I don't want any negatives I haven't come all the way from my family to have any negatives if you've got a negative think about what it is think of two ways to solve it choose the best one and then you won't even have to bother me with it because you've dealt with it but come on Ian you know what footballers are like they will moan about anything yeah yeah, but I had the perfect foil at Blackpool well go and speak to him then because Carl Oyston wanted them to moan at him and he was so stubborn it didn't matter so perfect scenario what a fit hand in glove me and him look I'm not here to listen to that go and speak to him I'm just going to make the best of this so every day I said to him we got to try and give them something if they're going to give us something and that's what life should be you know I'm not going to pay you millions and millions of pounds until you've earned it so you get that but you'll get this in a bonus so that's what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that providing it balances out and the job that you've done for that person, they then reward you fairly, which is in the end what he didn't want to do. Do you know what I mean? In the end, all that money, they took it out of club. Was that your best spell as a football manager, Ian? Yeah, it was the most important spell and it was the best spell for me because I said to myself, this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And it was more creative than I was... I was almost playing a way that to not lose rather than to win. And I actually decided on a attacking plan as well as a defensive plan. There was things I didn't know about it, but I went with it anyway. And I learned as I was going along. Um, didn't always go right. Possibly should have stayed up, to be honest. But... Um, you talk That's about your, your time at Blackpool and you were saying, look, you decided to change your management style and say to players... If it's difficult, find a solution, just get on with it. Mm. And yet there are players in the modern game, and I'm going to think about, say, Clark Carlisle as a Mm. good example, who had overwhelming personal problems, Mm. mental health problems. They just couldn't solve it, Ian. So how does that style of management fit with troubled players then and today? Yeah, that's. um, I didn't have a clue about any of that before I met Clark. Um, I had no idea that people could get themselves 
in a situation where they're out of their depth in their own life they're out of their depth but what's scary about life is is you don't know no. the answers not everybody does all the time and what you've got to do is go with it and what and learn from it as you do it and you know I've always put people first you know and Clark will tell you that if you are lucky enough to speak to him but you know, this it, is not about Clark Carlisle. This is about your management style. No, no, no. It, like, life's about managing, and, and life's about managing yourself first. Yeah. And you can't manage anyone else until you can do yourself. You know, and that's the hardest bit about football. Anything like serious going on in their life, they could have talked to me about it no matter what. And I guarantee you, that's the case. And the state Clark was in in the ND trusted me to deal with it for him. And he's got an ongoing fight with it. It's, I've always said there's two ways to be injured. Physically and mentally. And the hardest of all is the mental side of it. And it's something that football has never really dealt with. You're either strong enough or you're not. That in its own way isn't right, but it was a fact. Um, players would senior players would treat you that way and expect you to deal with it. If you were a sensitive, you'd have been out the game. Well, let's take you back to your time at Wimbledon mm. as a player. You talked about horrendous abuse that was yeah. going on then, bullying culture. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, yeah. Would you let that happen in your club today? Not in a million years, no. Only because I've lived through it. Did they and bully you? Yeah, they did, yeah. I, I became the... Uh, the butt of their jokes because as long as it's someone else it doesn't matter you know but that was a, a very strange scenario that some of the things that happened there is not the norm you know get but you some, know if you, if you get tell someone jumping off a roof to land on their teammates shoulders on the way out of the car park you know what I mean that, that's not normal is it cutting your socks at the bottom cutting your toes off your socks so you pull your socks up and it comes right up your leg cutting the crutch out of your pants and as you put it on it goes right up and they think it's funny do you know what I mean it's weird but that's life. That's how the manager encouraged it. But I would argue that there's still elements of that inside certain football clubs today, Ollie. You think so? And all I do know, I've had I've had two players in my time who've needed some help that I didn't have. I couldn't give them. And I fought to try and find out who could help them. Peter Kay was one who was yeah. unbelievably brilliant. And when I found those people, I, I opened it up to all my staff I brought them in to, to I, and it was oh let's have a look at this let's have a shine a light on this I sat my team down and said look he's in trouble Clark's in trouble do you want me to support you like this so shut your mouths every one of you you can speak to him but my players came to me telling me that he had a problem that's what I was trying to nurture mm. other players caring about another player that much that they don't care what it is they're going to go and help him that's what should happen I'm going to read you something from your autobiography. You took, you take part in a BBC um, project. The uh, stress test. The it? stress test. Mm -hmm. um, and your psychologist, as part of this stress test, pinpoints your problem, quote, to me believing nothing I ever did was good enough. Mm -hmm. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Because if that's running like a piece of software in your psyche, Ian, that's bloody hard to deal with. Yeah, if I give an example, I was drawing some pictures on the way up because I like drawing. Never really happy with them. Why? Because I want them to be exactly right, and that's just part of me, you know? And, and I'm sure there's a lot of musicians who might not like that song they've just done. They might be more critical, you know? They, other artists would look at it and go, oh, I'm not sure I like that. But other people see it in a different way. So, you know, sometimes being critical of yourself, it, I think, can be harmful, but it can also be beneficial. Did you ever get to a football club and think, I can't be the perfect manager, this can't be the perfect club, and that used to haunt you? Yeah, I think Leicester was the worst for me because I walked in and there was so many players I remember I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna have a meeting I said I want a I want a meeting so I started talking and the bloke grabbed hold of my arm I saw about 30 40 people and he went oh there's some more yet 
and then another 20 odd players there was over 50 odd players and they were all picking Mandrich's money up it was like and and the goalie came and said to me I'm not going anywhere gaffer I'm not going to cause you a day's problem but I'm he's going to pay me every penny he owes me and I'm going to stay here you know that was the the attitude you know it was like strange where what you want is the opposite of that. You want the opposite where we're all going somewhere, we're all going to do something, but, oh, no, no, I'm <laughs> we're staying here. It's, like, weird, but, you know, the, the funny thing is, whatever you witness, however you see it, you, you, you move from the unknown to the known, and then you carry on again, and that's part of... I was thrown in to be a manager. I was a player. I only ever wanted to be was a player, really, Deep, deep down. You can't play forever, Ian. I know you can. Well, you can in your mind. I feel like Peter Pan. I can't believe <laughs> when I look in the mirror and I see this grey bloke and bold <laughs> bloke. And But, you know, my heart's always going to be young. I don't, want a, I don't want a long life. I want a full life. And I couldn't get much fuller than I've had, you know. But the scary thing is that there's so much that you don't know about being a human. It's scary, but it's still exhilarating. In other words, I can learn this today. I can do that today. That What have I done today that I've learnt from? What am I grateful for? And I'm telling you, I wouldn't change a thing from my part of it. I think the game itself should change. How? It needs to be more caring. It needs to have a good look at itself. It needs to see how young fellas are being brought up. It needs to open up to every the game belongs to everybody so I spe- suppose a player came to you suppose you go to another football club in the next few months and a player knocks mm. on your door and say Gaffer you know I'm gay I'm thinking of coming out as gay what would you say to him let's have a party let's do it but you're going to you realise that you'll have all of these issues everywhere you go but let's do it what's the point of hiding some men are gay the reality some women are gay so what's wrong with it it's alright in society so but, why, but what's wrong with football, it in football it's still a massive taboo only because behaviour is allowed and accepted on terraces that's the problem that you'll get and we are a society that does nothing about things so there's a lot of things wrong with our world but I like to think of the good sides of football that make it better in my life because it's taught me about being wanted being needed being part of a team made me believe that I am better than I actually thought I was and by being a valid member of that team gives me a value of who I am. You're listening to On The Sporting Couch, a programme about good mental health and sport. We'll be back after the break when Ian Holloway will be talking about his anger and how he's had to deal with it. Welcome back to On The Sporting Couch, a psychological profile of one of the most fascinating football managers of our generation, Ian Holloway. Are you a modern football manager? Yeah, I am, yeah, but, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure my accent helps me at times, I, I have to say. I don't think my accent's fashionable. Are you saying that if you had a Spanish accent or an Italian If, if I had a Scottish accent, Scottish. some of the things, yeah... That that was the the thing to be at one time. Um, you know, obviously Sir Alec Ferguson made that uh, famously. Bill Shankly in in the way that he's gone about things. You know, it's it's. I'm know, just curious about this concept that just because you have a, a Gloucestershire burr in your voice, which is perfect, isn't a problem for anybody, surely. And you're saying, well, if I had a Scottish, no, I'm, act- not, I'm not. Listen, I'm not saying that the, my record is there to stand exactly. up. Exactly, it's got. Two clubs promoted to the Premier League. I only lasted eight games with with Crystal Palace, but I did a whole season. I got thirty nine points. Um, so come on, Ian, you can't say but, to me that you just because of your accent that is going against you. Um, well, maybe it isn't. Maybe they don't think I'm any good. But you are good. Your record speaks for itself. Or maybe someone should listen to this program, read the record, and then maybe I might get a chance. That's life. There's a bit of anger in there, if you don't mind me saying. Do you so. think so? Yeah. 
I do see a flash of anger by saying, actually, I'm a good football manager, I've proved it, I have the record, and I'm still out of work at the present time. Um, well, there's only so, so many jobs that to go around. That's the problem, you know? How and, far down and, the... and, Well, I'm sure there's a lot of English coaches and managers that would feel a little bit aggrieved, you know? I'm sure if I'm Chris Wilder and there's jobs flying about and if you look at what he's done at Sheffield United and he's doing a brilliant job, he might get his own club to to the Premier League. I hope he does. But all I'm trying to say, you know, are these lads, is their stock high enough and good enough? Is it? You know, do we need someone who's done an academy at so-and-so getting a job in the Premier League as his first main job? Nah, do we? Not really, but such is life. If that's the way the chairman are going to think, then there you go. But I've had a brilliant innings. I've loved every minute of it. And I can't wait for the next thing that's going to wash up on my beach. And if you if you watch Castaway, you'll know exactly what I'm on about. <laughs> Even at a football when he called it Wilson. But do you know what I mean? I would hate to be that man isolated. I'm not that. I have a wonderful life and I've I've always filled it with things that take me away from the seriousness of what my main job is I'd like to just in the latter part of this programme look at the the concept of anger and Mm. right in the introduction we talk about this psychologist saying your problem is your anger tell me about your anger how do you do you hide it Ollie? Yeah no Kim's the only one who who sees all of it because I love her and trust her that much and unfortunately she might be around where I let my guard down and, and everything I'm shouting and bawling and doing things she she witnesses it, but you know my sister Sue don't know what I'm really like. Kim sees all of that, but um, are you ashamed of your flashes of anger? Yeah, I don't. I really don't like part of myself, and I've always had that issue. I I spoke to a colleague yesterday, and he said, "Ian, fantastic company, mm. really engaging, but boy, when he loses it, he loses it. He 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 mm. saw an incident at uh, Preston." Um, when you were at QPR, mm. when you had a couple of players sent off, and you absolutely oh, lost yeah. it in the changing rooms and in the dressing room area. In the dressing room area, yeah. Oh, yeah, too right, yeah. Because I, I felt aggrieved. I felt I've always had this thing, fairness, right? And life ain't fair, so I've got to get on with it. Unfortunately, that side of me kicks in when I, I believe I've been unjustly dealt with. I end up feeling like... Uh, how can I say it? The Hulk. You end up. I feel like I'm as big as him, and I could. So, what uh, did you want to do to Jeremy Simpson that day? Because you were ranting outside. Which who was he? Which one's he? He's the referee. Well, I went in and asked him what he thought of himself, and I still think he was wrong. But he has a job to do. He might yeah, he get did it, it right. He or did wrong. it. He did it absolutely atrociously. I've watched the game back. I saw it. But players... Absolutely, he had an uh, absolute atrocious game. End of. This and not, he wouldn't admit it. This is not about his, his game. This is about your anger. He, he, did, he, did, <laughs> he, did, he did the best he could. He might have made mistakes. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. Players make mistakes. Chairman make mistakes. He's going to get it wrong. Why do you think... Um, now, when, you I, think? when I get it wrong, I say I'm wrong. Okay, and so. the thing I didn't like, and again, I'm going back to this... I can take anything. What do, you, what do you think about that? And oh yeah, no, sorry, I might have been wrong. There. Oh no, no, no. There's an arrogance about it. That was so it's totally his arrogance wrong. you didn't like. It, I, I felt it at the time, and I said it, and then I got into trouble for saying that. But we're all supposedly doing our job. We're all having to do these things, and and really, it's so simple to say. Actually, I might have got that wrong. Did you get it wrong that day? Totally, at, yeah. At Deepdale, thrashing totally. around in the dressing room. Yeah, area. absolutely. Totally ashamed of myself because that was one of the times that I try and hide the fact that, wait a minute, I shouldn't say that. I should be responsible for what I've just done there. Um, but I felt I was fighting a cause for the underdog again, you know, and that's probably been the story of my life. I was going to say, are, no, you, probably. are, you, are you the underdog that keeps probably. battling on? Well, Bristol City came to my house and when I was nine years old and they told me that they thought I was going to be great and, and I didn't agree with them. And maybe I, I've always not agreed that I might be great. Maybe I'm better when I'm not told I'm great and then I'll go and prove that I'm all right. 
you know but what i will do is if i do get something wrong i'll hold my hand up and say about it because that's how i was brought up so there might be a lot of things that i might have felt i wanted or i felt i needed but i wasn't given and i've worked to try and get them um and unfortunately along that path when you can't have someone that you want i was never very nice what and i that think mean? that i think that's my character what does Deep not down, very that's nice me. What is not I'm very not very nice. But you, you strike me a very personable man meeting you, Ian. You're, but I, if I, I was playing darts with you and you just scored a score that beat me hollow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to hide the fact that I don't like that. But why can't you sh- turn around to me as you've had to do in your career and shake the hands of your opponent and say, "Well done." No, I like. I, I've always done that with dignity. I've always made sure I've done that, but. But you're asking me about anger, and my anger comes up. It's like a bubbling. It's like a paint bubbling under the surface. It's a horrible thing that I have, right? And my kids have seen it when I was growing up. You know, when I don't get, when I want them to go to sleep, and and sleep deprivation is the worst thing in the world. It's absolutely horrendous, you know. And we've had so many times where, can't you keep them quiet? I mean. They're deaf and they're keeping us up, and you know what I mean. It's like, oh dearie me. Well, like, there's lots of things I'm very, very ashamed of that my kids would have seen me do. I, I, I'm going on to a, a painful topic because you, your your wife Kim, at some stage in your career, suffers from depression. Mm. How did you deal with that? Well, I tried to support her as well as I could all the way through it. I actually stopped going to work and because she couldn't get out of bed, so I told my work I'm not going in I was a player then uh, for Ray Wilkins and I told him I'm not coming up so you don't have to pay me because I'm going to look after my wife i got to look after the kids because she couldn't get out of bed for about four weeks so I've always been there for her it's a know? tough period for a, a, a partner to support their partner going through that sort of stuff yeah but why was she going through that in the first place well, I you... don't know probably to have to deal with the way I behave a lot of the time. You well, know? now we're getting on to the... No, but no, I'm part of that. I understand that, you know. Did, you, did your anger cause her depression? I think so. I think that was part of it, yeah, I do. It's been horrendous for her. I can't believe she's still with me, to be honest. Because the, the love and affection you have for Kim is, is solid. All the way mm. through your life, you make mm. it very obvious you put her first. Yet, your anger is responsible for some of her depression. I, I think so, yeah. And I think the way she's made up as a human being is part responsible for that as well because yeah. of the way her hormones go in her brain my daughters are a little bit similar to that at times um i just i think it's learning how to live with someone else is is not easy anyway is it no. really you no. know but i'm definitely definitely not the nicest easiest person to live with and thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, this is what this program's about, mm. being able to share our honesty and saying, at times, my anger gets the better of me. I'm a pressure cooker. It goes and then I'm fine. You know, yeah, but, but the people around you... Yeah, yeah, this is what I've realised. I let that out and I'm fine, but hang on a minute, what have I done to you? What have I harmed there? That's what I'm now aware of. Final question, final, final question. There will be sports people listening to this radio show who are suffering mental health issues, depression, their inability to keep their form up. What would you say to those people in the football world today, especially where it is a taboo, where you know that if a player comes to you and say, Gaffer, I don't feel 100%, fine, you're out of the team. I think you need some help. And I think um, if you have a sore knee sore ankle you go and see a physio who knows a lot more about it than you that's no problem is it to get some help with that well if you're not thinking straight and you can't cope with something that's not a weakness you need to go and speak to someone who can help you realign yourself to get fit again that's you know I've seen that with my wife I've seen that with my children I've seen that in my own life I've seen it myself where we all need some help and have you sought help for your anger issues? Yeah, I had anger. I uh, had anger management. That's why when you asked me the question, what would I prefer to be later on? Maybe I prefer to be an anchor for someone else to who's trying to live through their management to actually help them through the periods of 
what goes on in your head, you know. But I, I've told you before I did this, I've always been, always, a cup half full person. I, and I have the anger side of things. I felt I needed, I felt it was a friend of mine to help me get more determined. I was confused as between the difference between anger, which can sometimes be negative, and determination, which is almost, almost always positive. So I was confused at the little friend I used to get on my shoulder, and I made an excuse for him to be there, rather than own my whole behaviour. Thank you for being so brutally honest about yourself, Ian Holloway. Many thanks for joining me on The Sporting Couch. Thank you. This is On The Sporting Couch here on Talk Sport with Samaritans. When life is tough, Samaritans are there to listen. Call 24-7 on 116123 or visit samaritans.org. I hope you've enjoyed today's edition of On The Sporting Couch. We're back soon. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist. And please remember, there's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.